it felt like fighting against the tide at times. Um, and I think if it hadn't been for keeping a really close eye on what my main drivers are, I don't know that I would have gone through it. And so I would just recommend that everybody really thinks deep down, like what motivates you to, to not just to get out of bed, but to enjoy the process of getting out of bed and to enjoy what you're gonna do after that. Hi everyone, it's Marcy Bullock. Welcome back to season three of Wolfpack Career Chats, the anchor season. A, ambition. N, networking. C, compassion. H, health, both mental and physical. O, organization. And R, resilient. Enjoy the pod. Hello, this is Marcy Bullock with Jessica Perianza. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Marcy. Very excited to be here. I'm delighted to have you. We're recording this in October, which is Latin Heritage Month. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what your Latin heritage means to you. Sure. So I was actually born in Mexico, in Mexico City. Um, My mother is from Chiapas, which is the most southern state in Mexico. And my dad is actually from Honduras. Um, So a bit of a mixed culture here at home as well. Um, And I am also undocumented. So um, kind of on top of being uh, Latina, I am also a documented dreamer. Um, And I had the opportunity to go to state, which is kind of the connection here. I love that story. You've got so much of a rich history. Well, tell us when you were a student here, what you studied and more about this, um, this notion of being a dreamer for any of our listeners who would like to understand that definition. Sure. Um, So I went to, I was actually a part of the dual degree program that NC State has with Meredith College. Um, So I was able to graduate with a bachelor's of arts in mathematics and then a bachelor of science in industrial engineering from state. Um, and so at the at the culmination of those five years, um, I was I was able to kind of uh, walk the stage with my parents, which was a very exciting part of my graduation. Um, but in terms of being a dreamer and uh, kind of what that experience was like, I it impacted every every aspect, I think, of my college experience. Um, if for any other dreamers that are out there, it's extremely difficult, particularly in certain states um, that are maybe not as welcoming for undocumented immigrants. North Carolina, for example, is a state where even if you've been living in North Carolina for many years and paying taxes, if you have DACA, you do not qualify for in-state tuition. So it also means that you can't apply for FAFSA um, or any other site type of like federal loan. And lastly, it also implies that you will pay out of state tuition for any sort of public institution you go to. So being a dreamer kind of from the get-go, it means that you have to find uh, other ways of being able to finance the dream that you have of being able to find a school that is kind of supportive of you. Um, and then at the same time, try to keep the, the family ties because usually when you're a dreamer, you have very close family ties. This is so inspirational that you were able to do that. Do you have any tips for people that are in that same situation, Jessica? I think the best tip I have is it really does take a village. Whenever I was in, in undergrad, I 
often had to ask for help. And I think I had to become really comfortable with the notion of asking for help doesn't mean that you are any weaker or any lesser. It just means that you know that you can't do everything and that's okay. And that's a smart decision as well. Um, by the time that I was done graduating, it was because of so many people that kind of rallied behind me to help me find scholarships or fund scholarships to even just keep my hopes up. The friends that um, kind of in really difficult times were there to remind me of why I was doing it all and that um, it would open up a lot more opportunities if kind of I was able to, to get to the end goal of, of graduation. Um, so I, I would just say be open to asking for help. And um, it's also very smart to be able to ask for help. That's so important to ask for help. And many people feel like they have to do it by themselves and that it's some kind of stigma to need assistance of other people. We have so many resources on campus here for let's say even first generation students who just don't have someone that's paved the way before them and they don't know all the answers. Did you take advantage of any of these resources? Good question. I think the the biggest resources I took advantage of in undergrad were the communities that were around me. So I went to school for engineering. I joined SHIP, the Society for Hispanic Professional Engineers. Um, I think for me, that was pretty life-changing and not to be dramatic, um, but because it offered me an opportunity to be able to connect with people of similar backgrounds to me that maybe understood the experience that I was going through, not only of that stage of life where you're off to college, but also what it meant to, um, to be the first person in your family to be doing all of this um, and what it meant to feel that responsibility. Um, and I loved every bit of that responsibility, but it's a heavy weight. And um, I'm sure a lot of dreamers would, would sympathize with that. Um, and so for me, finding that familia on campus where I could speak Spanish, where, um, Eventually, we, we would host a lot of events together, and it became such a core kind of part of my college experience, and it was actually through a SHIP conference that I uh, interviewed, had my first interview with my current employer at Accenture. Thank you for sharing that story about the SHIP connection that you had. And it's so important to have role models that look like you, that help you to see where you might get to the next step. And then you got this internship or you said in interview at Accenture. Would love you to tell a little bit about that and how you got to where you are now and more about what you're doing today. All right. So funny enough, I the first time I approached Accenture, they actually told me they thought my GPA wasn't high enough um, and that maybe I should reconsider consider. Uh, but the I think the biggest lesson I had from that is it's also in the story that you share. Up until that point, I had been on the dean's list uh, every semester. And then I had a really rough semester where I was taking a lot of credit hours. I was also working full time and had a lot of things just happening outside of school as well. And that lowered my GPA. And so when it came time to look for um, kind of those uh, entry level jobs coming out of college, I had to figure out a way of kind of saying to someone, yes, there's a blip in uh, in maybe what you see as my grades, but that was one semester. And wouldn't you rather hear the story of how after that semester, I was able to get my grades back up and um, I was able to kind of find a, a way back instead of just giving up. And I think 
finding someone that was actually at the recruiting event for Accenture that was willing to kind of have that story and have that conversation with me um, and for myself to also be vulnerable about that and just be very open and honest and candid, um, I think was the first step in, in being able to have an open opportunity at Accenture. And I'm so glad that, um, again, I found the, the, that community within SHIP because they gave me so much coaching and uh, eventually I was able to go through the three rounds of uh, the interview process and ended up getting an offer for the city that I wanted to go to. And I, I moved out of North Carolina, moved to Boston um, and have been traveling up and down the, the East Coast for the past five years. Amazing that you didn't give up after someone gave you not a rejection, but just a like, oh, your GPA. And the funny thing is there's no correlation between GPA and success in an actual career. But so many students feel held back because there's all these screens, even in the database we use, EPAC, companies will come in and go, you don't have a 3.0 or whatever, you're not going to be looked at. What was it? You said SHIP was important to you. What else inside of you was happening to help you realize that you could overcome this barrier? I think it was also not losing sight of what my personal drivers were. And for me, my personal drivers were my family. And so even in instances where I was definitely ready to... uh, stop either studying or stop uh, kind of going to work, or I just felt very exhausted, Um, kind of just being able to remind myself that at the end of the day, it wasn't just for me. It was for my community. It was for my family and it was for my village because every step of the way, I really did feel that um, there were different parties kind of letting me know that we weren't able to do it, that maybe this would be the next semester we wouldn't be able to afford my tuition, or that this would be the semester that I wouldn't be able to get that internship that I wanted. And it felt like fighting against the tide at times. Um, and I think if it hadn't been for keeping a really close eye on what my main drivers are, I don't know that I would have gone through it. And so I would just recommend that everybody really thinks deep down, like what motivates you to to not just to get out of bed, but to enjoy the process of getting out of bed and to enjoy what you're going to do after that. Yes, yes, yes. Enjoy that process of getting out of bed and what you do after it. And I actually teach a class on campus, which is career exploration seminar. And it's not just about what's my passion, I'll go off and be a starving whatever, but it's about the world of work and it's about finding your niche. So you are now this uh, strategy consultant. Did I say your title right or correct me? Yeah, I actually was recently promoted to manager here at Accenture. So I'm a strategy innovation manager at Accenture. Strategy Innovation Manager, that is a super impressive title. I know your family is so proud of you for overcoming all those obstacles and getting there. So what is that like? You travel up and down the coast, you said. Um, Share a little bit more about a day in the life of Jessica. Sure, yeah. So um, I started my, so for anyone that knows um, Accenture, we are a consulting firm. Um, I think our kind of strongest base is within tech consulting, um, but we have recently really leveraged our innovation and interactive arms. Um, And so as far as what I do within Accenture, um, my focus is within innovation. So that's looking at how we can use the latest technologies such as artificial intelligence um, to be able to help our clients and to be able 
to also improve the experiences that all of us have with the products and services that are offered to us in our daily lives. That was well said. And I, I wonder if when you were an undergraduate, did you see yourself here? And, you know, for undergraduates that don't even know what jobs are out there, what would you say to them? That's such a great question, Marcy, because I would have never imagined that I would be doing consulting because to be totally frank, I didn't really know what consulting was until my last year of undergrad. Um, I thought I would be a quality engineer at BMW and I was very hyped for that. Um, And what ended up happening was I realized at my last year of undergrad that I knew what I was good at, but I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to use those skills. And consulting would offer me kind of a sandbox to be able to play in different environments and to be able to um, work with different teams, with different clients in different languages, and to be able to really kind of figure out what is it that I want to specialize in um, while also learning a lot. And so since I've joined consulting, I have had the opportunity to do both kind of big tech implementations, but I've also had the opportunity to um, focus on the more human-centric aspect uh, of work. And so what that means is I've really become a service designer, and I would have never thought that with a background in engineering, I could do something that blended creativity and business strategy. Um, And my love for math, for example, um, through the tech that we're using, and that I would be able to put all of those things together in my work, and I would be able to do all of those things in my daily life. And so I think with the technologies that we're seeing, and also the the different media platforms that we have now, um, I think that we're kind of scratching the surface of a whole new world of what's possible in terms of the workforce and in terms of what we're going to be doing for work in the future. And I think I would encourage students to really think outside the box and think if I could take my skills and do something really cool with them, what what could that be? And how might technology help me do those things? Because uh, that's I, I think that could really help set people up for the future. Wonderful advice, Jessica. And I'm glad you said that because I read recently that the CEO of Infosys, Ravi Kumar, predicted there'd be 133 million new jobs next year that don't even exist today. So that means don't sweat it. Figure out who you are. Use the resources like the Career Center so we can help you launch into that transition to the work world. I want to dive back into your identities. You shared your ethnic identity. What other identities do you have in the workforce and as a human? And how do you express them authentically when you are in a professional setting? Sure. I think I show up as a woman. I show up as a Latina. I show up as an immigrant. Um, And I would say those are my three strongest identities when I when I kind of walk into the room and someone asks me, how would you describe yourself? Um, And in terms of how I show up as those things in the workplace, um, I think it's giving yourself a lot of grace is is how I show up as a woman is how I kind of try to be gentle with myself instead of uh, expecting absolute perfection each and every day, and also being able to give that grace to the people that I work with um, and really embrace that we're not perfect and that's okay. And we're all just here to try to make a living and to try to make our lives a little bit better. So let's try to enjoy that process again along the way. 
I think as far as how I show up as a Latina, it's by uh, not letting people forget that I speak Spanish and <laughs> constantly getting that those uh, R's rolled in wherever I can. Um, but in, in all seriousness, I think it's um, I'm extremely proud of my kind of Mexican heritage and, and of um, the Honduran culture that I also get to get to be deeply in. And I, I do that in things that I wear. I'm, I am not afraid of wearing hoops. I'm not afraid of wearing big red lipstick, of uh, wearing beautiful embroidered shirts that my family sends me from Mexico, um, of having beautiful clay pots that are in the background of my Zoom meetings um, because they were, again, kind of gifts from family. Um, and then lastly, I think as far as how I show up as an immigrant, um, I think particularly at work, it is by trying to be a voice uh, for the communities that don't get a space in that room. And so if I'm in a, in a room where we're having conversations around technology, then um, I personally do feel that it is my responsibility to, to kind of say, okay, well, how will this help communities of color? How will this help um, immigrant communities? How might um, immigrants be able to kind of be benefited from this? And so I think that's, those are the three main identities that I show up with and, and how I show up. And advocating for yourself as a woman and a marginalized group ethnically, it's so important for you to have that voice. I teach women in the workforce right now, and I'm, I'm trying to teach my ladies that, yeah, we don't get paid as much. We should. And let's make sure that we advocate for ourselves. And you mentioned you just got this promotion. So how do you advocate to ensure that there is equality in the workforce? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's, uh, I would say twofold. One is uh, asking for help. So finding great sponsors in any space that you have. So I kind of called them uh, my board. I have my personal board of people that I reach out to when I have questions, when I need help, when I um, want to bounce ideas. Um, and they are from different ages, from different backgrounds. Um, and that's because I look for diversity of thought. I I'm, I'm just want to know like what, if, if I'm sharing this idea with you and I know that you have all of this experience, what, what advice would you give me? Tell me what my blind spots are. Um, so I would say ask for support and ask for people to call out your blind spots because we all have them. Um, and then secondly, I think it's by really recognizing your worth. Um, because if you know that you're doing great work and you feel that you're not getting well compensated for it, um, then it's, it, you, you should feel empowered enough to be able to voice that for yourself and to ask for, for support once again. And I think that the people around you, if, if it is kind of a, um, an employer that says that, yes, we're going to be there for you, then that's a time for them to really show up and to listen to your concerns and, and to be able to see how both parties can, can kind of be uh, happy at the end of the day. Um, so I would say it's twofold, kind of asking for help and also having the courage to, um, to speak up for yourself because we all deserve it. We all deserve it. I And I also think that sometimes there are some bumps in the road. And I have talked to students that have experienced microaggressions in their internships. And I wonder if you've ever had that happen to you. And if so, could you share your approach to moving forward? 
Sure. Um, I I have. Uh, and for some reason, the example coming to mind is, is actually not by a peer, but um, rather it was by someone in the building. And so what I mean is I used to work out of the innovation hub that Accenture had in Soho in New York City. And um, often I would work uh, prepping for an event the next day. We would sometimes be there a little late into the day. And there was one day in particular after an event that the uh, event uh crew kind of came in to pack everything up and they made the assumption that I was the secretary even though uh, I was had been leading the event and so forth uh, they they came to me with with kind of the the types of questions that you you typically go to for a secretary and I know that it was because I was only Latina in the room um and I think in in moments like those it goes back to one having grace to just be like okay they're not doing it to be to be jerks. Unfortunately, they have that unconscious bias and I wish they didn't have it. Um, however, I'm not going to kind of ruin my day over that. And so let's, I think my perspective is, let me do what I need to kind of get done in this moment and then address it afterwards. And kind of having a conversation with them um, afterwards and saying, hey, I'm happy to help. Um, but, you know, for the future, um, I think you guys should kind of just be a little bit more mindful in terms of how you're approaching people and, and who you go to to ask for help, because sometimes people are just not aware. Um, and not everyone should feel the responsibility to do that education. Um, but I think if you have it in you and you have the energy and, and time, then I think it's well spent. I like how you stayed so calm in that situation. And I, I feel like my emotions bubble up when things like that happen, when people have stereotypes and the way you handled it was very graceful. So I'm going to take some of your advice. We're going to move to our time machine question, Jessica. We're now going to go 20 years into the future when hopefully we're at a place where we don't have to have these conversations about microaggressions and what's going on in the workforce with this divided country we live in. What advice would your 2021 Jessica of today need to hear from your wiser self? That's, uh, so I've been thinking about this since, since kind of you shared the question with me, um, especially because I, I am now finding myself at a crossroads again, where I'm asking myself what I really want to do for work and what I really want to specialize in. And so as I think about that and I think about what I would want my future self to tell me, um, I would want her to, or I would hope that she would tell me that it is okay to do things just for the sake of doing them. And I don't always have to be productive, I think is, is one thing. And the second is that if I listen to my gut and I check in with my tribe, I'll be okay. And so I should just keep doing that. <laughs> Very wise woman. Jessica, I've enjoyed our talk so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marcy.